Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Well, hi. You already know me. I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. I'm a literary agent, co-founder of MSW Well. Um, yes, we love Julie's hat. Hi, Dina. <laughs> and we are so excited to welcome you to a Spooky Season Manuscript Wishlist Live. Today is all about finding what agents want within genres. Because they say they want a genre does not mean they want all of that genre. And this is so you can better understand their tastes. As many of you know, MSWL started as a fun little experiment on what was formerly known as Twitter, and we have loved your support and kindness through the years, and that was, gosh, 2013. Wow. Thank you so much for being along for the ride this whole time. You guys, Julie Kingsley, the witchy version of myself today. I'm so glad to have you here on this end of October spooky season. I am a writing teacher. I am the co-founder of Manuscript academy and i am so pleased to be with you all here today even though it's spooky season we have one rule at the manuscript academy that we have no matter what the season which is we just ask you to be as kind as possible to your fellow writers yes you can be spooky you cannot be mean to each other okay you know how hard this is let's support your fellow writers all right without further ado let me briefly introduce what we'll be doing today we have ts ferguson who with a flash writing prompt we have kelly van sant with a class we've got janissa graham with a query critique and we've got claire harris with an example of an author whose query got representation and just came out this month with william morrow and harper collins so let's meet our panel T.S., come down, say a few words about you. Hi. Hello. So I'm T.S. Ferguson. I'm an agent at Azantian Literary Agency. And um, I guess my big bio moment is I was an editor in publishing for almost 16 years, I want to say. And now I've defected over to the dark side <laughs> <I'm> an <agent laughs> and loving it and just really building my list. You know, starting out, I have four clients right now. So very excited to find new authors and dig into my query inbox. Yay, the authors love to hear that. Kelly, tell us about you. Hello, everyone. I am Kelly Van Sant. I am a literary agent and the contracts manager for KT Literary. Um, I have worked in the publishing industry for like over 15 years at this point. I've worked for publishers and various agencies at many different roles. Um, but currently, in addition to managing the contracts for my agency, I do have my own list. I represent writers writing um, fiction in the children's and the adult space, and I do some uh, nonfiction as well. So that's me. You know, Kelly, I was so tempted when you said you did contracts. I wanted to be like, no, that's spooky. Ha ha ha. But <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I guess tedious, not spooky, perhaps. Um, anyway, Janissa, come on down. Hi, I'm Janissa Graham, and I'm from Bookends Literary. So I am an associate agent as well as submites manager while I'm in film and TV merchandise, theater, and audio rights. So I started off at Writer's House where I did nothing but sub rights and really loved that hitting jam. And now I'm excited to be here to talk about queries because I think that's another amazing part of my job. Awesome. And last but certainly not least, Claire, tell us about you. 
Hi everyone, I'm Claire Harris. I'm an agent at PS Literary. I represent a really wide range for um, adults in both fiction and nonfiction, but as it relates to this panel, I work on horror and thrillers and sometimes the occasional mystery. Yay! Okay, so if you've been to one of our events before, you know we love giving out prizes. We will do a drawing at the end. All right, TS, come on down. Hello. Um, so I represent right now uh, just YA and middle grade. Um, I'm hoping to eventually expand into adult and specifically genre and adult because that's what I love to read as a reader. But my number one thing I always tell authors is I'm really looking for across age group and genre is fresh and original plot takes. I see a lot of kind of more of the same. And that's one of the big reasons why I say no to a query is if it feels like something that I've seen a lot of. So I'm really looking for stories that stand out or, you know, if you're playing with classic tropes, how does your story, you know, have a fresh take or how does it feel special from what's already out there? For YA, I love an atmospheric voice. Jessica, I know you and I have talked about Daughters and the Devils by yeah. Amy Lukovics. That was one um, book that I worked on as an editor that was horror, very atmospheric. Uh, the voice immediately grabbed me, uh, very spooky, and kind of you're chilled just by reading the the words. Uh, and then on the flip side, I really love super voicey. So that can be very commercial. Um, Mary by Hilary Monahan is a good example of that. That was one that got away from me. I lost it at auction, uh, but was very, very commercial. But it was a Bloody Mary story, contemporary so I just was obsessed with it. And then uh, for mystery, I worked on a book called Red Dirt by Anna Jarzab that was set in Oklahoma. And one of the things that grabbed me about that was it was a mystery, but it was the voice was very uh, regional uh, and very like compelling in terms of bringing the setting to life. And that was a big part of the mystery was the setting and the culture of Oklahoma. So that that's something that I really look for. And I really love when, especially with horror, but thrillers as well, kind of uh, incorporate real life issues in with the horror or thriller elements. Um, so, you know, my big example for that is Stephen King. I just love, you know, for instance, Pet Cemetery. It's all about grief and kind of coping with death, but then bringing back the dead from, you know, from this spooky cemetery. Uh, and I really love when those things kind of merge and, you know, all of your characters' issues almost make the horror element or the thriller element worse. And then lastly, really, I love alternative formats. I uh, always talk about Rules for Vanishing by Kay Alice Marshall. That was another one I lost at auction. And it was um, amazing. That one was written through, like, crime reports and uh, witness testimonies and stuff like that. Uh, oh, and I also really love BIPOC and queer authors taking on classic tropes that really typically have centered white characters and straight characters and really kind of crapped on marginalized characters. So I love seeing those authors take on those tropes in a different way. And then in middle grade, I do love scary. I always talk about Wait Till Helen Comes because that was one that scared the pants off of me. I didn't read it until I was an adult but uh, it scared the pants off of me anyways. Uh, but I also really love Quirky and Dark. I love Coraline. Um, my favorite book when I was a kid was The Thief of Always by Clive Barker. So that's another one. And then I really love supernatural elements from non-white cultures. And I, uh, my number one example is The Jumbies uh, by Tr Tracy Baptiste. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm pretty open and, and eclectic, but as long as it kind of stands out and, and grabs me, I'm interested.
That's awesome. Thank you so much. I loved all that detail. And you're right, Daughters Unto Devils. I read that on a beautiful, bright, sunny day in the afternoon. And I like I heard a noise outside. And I'm like, ah, so I love the, the scary <laughs> book that can scare you on a, on a gorgeous, sunny day in the middle of the day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so please tell us about your writing prompts. So I'm doing a writing, a flash fiction writing prompt. The protagonist performs a dark ritual to get the one thing they desire most in the world, but their wish is granted with an undesirable or maybe even deadly twist. So it's kind of that classic monkey paw uh, scenario. So that's my flash fiction prompt. And I believe I'll be picking three winners, is it? Uh, yes. And so you have up to how many words? It should be pretty short. It should be one paragraph, yeah? Um, yeah, just one paragraph. Okay, and we will give everyone a few minutes to do that. Yeah, I love that kind of monkey paw scenario where you're like, what can, what do I want? I'm also a writer, and that's something that I always think about when I'm thinking about my spooky ideas is, all right, like, for instance, somebody who's really lonely and they want love, and then they want to, they do a ritual and they want to summon Cupid or love to them instead they get, you know, something that kind of represents the darker side of that, you know, or they get somebody like in the craft where she wants the boy to fall in love with her, but then he becomes obsessed with her instead, and it's not quite what she wanted. I always love stuff like that. And let's be totally clear, if you want to make a one-line story, we completely accept that. That is fine. If, you want, if you want one of those six-word stories, we're into that too. Length is really not the issue here. We're interested in your creativity and where you take it. And um, I'm interested in the, the dark twist. <laughs> that could go all kinds of bad ways. Um, <laughs> um, and let's talk a little bit about the prizes. So the prizes for this one, each winner receives a meeting with the agent or editor on our faculty of their choice. So that is a 10 minute meeting to go over your query or your first page. We'll just give you a code to book a meeting and meetings go live on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. And we've got about 35, 36 people to choose from this month. So yeah, that is your prize. We are here to support you. We're here to help you turn your um, rejection form letters into conversations and actual feedback. Hopefully at least one of them will scare you during the day. <laughs> yeah i'm in south carolina right now so right now for me the scary element is being gay in the south <laughs> that's my scary has anyone Although done a horror novel about that that would be really interesting i don't think so maybe adam sass i i, I haven't gotten his new book yet so i don't know what it's about but he immediately springs to mind when i think about like queer horror yes what do you think about animal characters that talk uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't find it spooky. I it, I guess it depends on the, the spin on it. I definitely am not as big of a fan, or it's, it's harder for me with middle grade when it's from the animal's perspective, but animals that talk, I think it would be cool if an animal talked. So I wouldn't be scared about that. I would be probably really excited, but I think it would depend on kind of how it was incorporated into the story for sure. Oh, I like this one. When Alin asked for never-ending life in order to have enough time to find love, she didn't realize it would mean every time she died, she would be brought back from the abyss, but not restored. Now a distorted monster, she has to hide from all she ever wanted. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, don't be yeah. intimidated just because that one is great. You all are so creative. I love this. <laughs> There's one with a line, gathering a Kraken's heart, which, by the way, tastes nothing like calamari. <laughs> you were all so funny. <laughs> These are very clever. Um, T.S., if you want to go through and choose your favorite three, it'll take a moment. 
Yeah, okay. let's do that. And then I can read the winners um, after the next person. Okay, sounds great. Back to the show. Um, Kelly, come on down. Hello, everyone. Um, so to talk a little bit about what I'm looking for in the context of these spooky genres, I am looking for um, traditional mysteries or golden age mysteries. Uh, I am looking for cozy mysteries. And I am also looking for psychological suspense. I think for me, the number one like thing that I don't want to see is like child endangerment. Uh, I have a nine-year-old kid, and so for me, reading about bad things happening to children just doesn't work well for me. <laughs> um, but I really do enjoy um, psychological suspense, creepy things. I'm very okay with supernatural or paranormal elements in any of those particular genres as well. Um, but really, it runs the gamut, you know, from from suspense to whodunits um, and everything in between. You know, I do think that. But um, middle grade is a really interesting space for spooky reads right now. So I love that. Um, I think YA is a great place for um, suspense or thrillers, um, as well as a more traditional mystery. Um, and of course, in the adult space, um, I'm all about it. Um, for cozies in particular, I'm looking for really unique gimmicks or hooks. I think we see, you know, a lot of the same kind of tropes that are classic for a reason. We see a lot of bakeries. We see a lot of craft-related cozies. We see a lot of pet-related cozies. And I love all of that uh, very much. I would also love to find something kind of unique in that space um, that hasn't really, uh, that I haven't seen too often that feels kind of fresh. And for me, really, when I am looking at a mystery, regardless of the specific subgenre or age group, um, I really think it's very important for mysteries to be to have well-developed characters and be character-driven. Mystery by its nature is such a plot-specific, like plot is so important in mystery and it's people who write mysteries, people who write all genres, frankly, um, have so much added work to do because on top of having, you know, the regular character development and emotional arcs and, you know, resolution of stakes and everything that all novels have, then you have genre conventions that you also have to adhere to. So, you know, for me, in addition to having that really tightly honed, well-crafted plot uh, in mysteries, I also want to see characters that are like very compelling um, because that's one of the things that I gravitate towards in reads in general. Nice. And I love how we can already see a contrast between what you want and what TS wants. And so I'm hoping this can provide like a living example of, you know, people say something like, well, I sent my thriller to this agent who says they want thriller, but then they said, no, how is that possible? And it's just a good reminder that we're people with like really different tastes and we love different things. And you want someone who loves your book on multiple levels versus just the genre. So already very pleased that we're, we're having this example here. Are you ready for your class? Yes. So I'm going to share my screen. I am going to do a quick little 
mini class on tension and stakes. Um, and I like to talk and I tend to ramble. So I'm going to try really hard to be <laughs> concise and stay to time and happy to answer any questions that come up sort of once I get through my spiel. So part of the reason why I wanted to talk about tension and stakes today is that I think it's important for all writing, um, regardless of you know what genre you're writing in, but it's especially important in mysteries and suspense and thrillers. We really need to have that, that tension and stakes clearly defined, present, constantly evolving and ratcheting up um, because that is one of the hallmarks of the genre. So first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to define tension. So this is actually like a dictionary definition of what tension is. It's an inner striving unrest or imbalance, often with uh, physiological indications of emotion. It is a state of latent hostility or opposition between individuals or groups. It is a balance maintained in an artistic work between opposing forces or groups. Or it is the state of being stretched tight. And then I wanted to go on and define what are stakes when we're talking about stakes. Uh, you know, I'm always saying this to my clients. I say this to querying writers. I say this, you know, constantly as you have to show me the stakes. What are the stakes? Why does this matter? Why is it important? And what we're really talking about when we talk about stakes are we're asking, you know, what is at risk? What is going to be either won or lost? What is the character invested in or interested in? And then of course, stakes are also for killing vampires. Uh, as a Buffy fan, I had to throw that in there just <laughs> for fun. But if we think about those two things together, tension is sort of that emotional stretching. When you think of like literally a rubber band stretching, it can only get so far before it then breaks. And what's at stake here is sort of like if that rubber band breaks, if we pull out that tension until it can't be stretched any further, what is going to be the result of that? What will your character win or lose? What's at risk for them? And particularly in mysteries of all kinds, that really matters. You know, oftentimes it's what's at stake is literally your life. If there is a serial killer after you, or, you know, if you have been framed and you have to clear your name, there can be some very real life or death stakes in a mystery, but it's not always only about that. And I'm going to talk about that in a future slide. So I wanted to talk about now that we know what tension is, where does it come from? How can you create tension in your manuscript? Uh, so tension can come from who knows what and when they know it. So if your characters know different pieces of information, one character knows something that another character does not, that creates tension. If your reader knows something that the characters do not, that creates tension. The reader has this piece of information that they have access to that the protagonist doesn't, and they're reading to see when is the protagonist going to discover this crucial piece of information. Who knows what information and when they know it is a way that you can create tension. Um, a ticking clock is always a great way to create tension. If there is a deadline, if we need to figure out what happens, you know, before the police arrive, if the serial killer has sent a letter saying they're going to kill someone, you know, tomorrow and we need to find them before then. If there's, you know, some kind of contest or deadline or anything that imposes 
a parameter of time around events. The tension comes from, are we going to be able to accomplish what we need to accomplish before that ticking clock counts down all the way? Tension can also come from opposing needs, wants, or desires. If you have two characters who want very different things that inherently creates tension. And oftentimes in genre fiction and mysteries in particular, you know, you could have a police procedural where the mystery is being investigated and solved by professionals, whether they're police or private detectives. You can have cozy mysteries, which are often um, amateur sleuths. You know, someone just kind of stumbles into a crime scene and is involved personally for reasons. You can have, you know, domestic thriller or psychological suspense, which is sort of everyday people whose lives have been drawn into some kind of stalking or situation where creepy things are happening. And, you know, so there are different protagonists that you can have throughout your mystery and different characters will have different needs or wants. And if you have a procedural and it's a detective, where is that tension going to come from? Is the tension between the detective and the victim of the crime? Is it between the detective and his partner? Is it between, you know, the detective and her boss or, you know, whatever that tension comes from? Think about what your characters want and what the characters around them want. And anytime those things are in opposition, if you've got a scene with two people with directly opposing desires, you're going to create tension there. Another way to create tension is change, right? Being static, being stable, that's expected, that's normal. Anytime there's change, that causes tension, that causes instability. So as you're writing, as you're progressing through your mystery, it's very unlikely that your mystery is going to be solved really easily. Like, oh, look, we found the murder weapon. And oh, look, this is the guy who did it. And now we're all done. That would not make for a very compelling read. So things are going to change. The things that your characters know or believe will change. The evidence that they have access to will change. Their suspicions will change. Things will change throughout the manuscript that calls into question the things they thought they knew or understood. And that change change will naturally create a lot of tension. I want to talk about doubling up on your stakes because this is something really important and it can make a difference for me personally and whether or not I'm interested in pursuing anything that lands in my query inbox. But I also think it's really important in terms of elevating, you know, a great mystery or a great book from, you know, just a good one. And that is to take what is universal and make it deeply personal. So, you know, your universal or your broad scale problem in a mystery might be who is the killer, right? We need to know who the killer is and stop them from killing other people and bring justice to their victims. But that is the universal stake. Well, that might certainly impact your protagonist if your protagonist is under threat from that killer. They're under the same threat that sort of everyone is. So you need to look at what is personal about this for your character. Is this, you know, again, like a procedural or a hard-boiled kind of noir where there's a detective who's taking on this case and it haunts them because they had a similar case 10 years ago 
know that, you know, they failed or couldn't solve. And so they've been driven by this need to figure this out. Is it that, you know, your character is questioning their relationships or their life choices or whatever it is, there has to be something personal that goes parallel along with the universal mystery to make us understand why this character is invested enough to pursue this question that is pulling them through a mystery because all mysteries are essentially centered around a, a question and finding the answer to that question is how you resolve the mystery. So you want to make something personal for them. You want them to be invested in what's going on because that is how the reader is going to become invested in your book. Taking it to that level, making it personal and universal will really do that. The duality of internal versus external Conflicts, motivations, desires um, adds richness to your work. Sometimes, you know, what makes it personal for your protagonist may come in direct opposition with what they need to do in order to solve the mystery or make the next steps. It might conflict with their morality or their worldview. So you can have these internal and external conflicts or motivations that will increase the tension, will increase what's at risk. Like, what if I I solve the mystery, but I'm at risk of losing my best friend in the process or, you know, vice versa, whatever else you can have both things resolve. You can have one resolve and the other not. Um, you can have a failure of both, although that would be a pretty bleak <laughs> ending to a mystery. Um, but just always consider that duality there, that it's not just about solving the crime. It's about why your character is personally invested and involved in the crime. And then just to wrap things up, if we go back to that rubber band analogy, when we're talking about tension, if you stretch a rubber band enough, eventually it's going to snap. Um, and if not, you have to kind of let go to release that tension. So you kind of want to think about your book, if you're thinking about it as a rubber band, where you're kind of pulling it farther apart and letting it stretch back, pulling it and snap back until eventually you get to that point where it has to break. You don't want that moment to come too soon. Ideally, you want that breaking of tension to come sort of at the climax of your novel. But that doesn't mean that you can't release tension for short amounts of time and give people a little bit of respite before you're things change again and the tension ramps up. Um, so always think of it as dynamic and try to think of, you know, when did I last increase the tension? What would it look like if I gave my characters a little bit of respite right now? And then after that respite, how can I make things even worse um, for my characters as it goes on? Um, so don't think of your plot or the momentum of your book as just a steady incline, right? We want it to be more varied and and once you get sort of past a point of no return, you just want to increase that tension exponentially until that rubber band snaps. So think about that. Think about what does that release look like and make sure you pay it off. Um, for mysteries, I think the most important thing is having an answer to that central question that feels satisfying, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's the just answer or the fair answer or the right answer, but an answer to the question that once you get 
get it, once you figure out who did it or why they did it or, you know, where the stolen mirror went or whatever your plot question is, that a reader can look back on that and feel like, yes, that makes sense. It didn't come out of left field, but it wasn't telegraphed to me. So I knew it all along. You want to pay off that balance of tension. And so when you're thinking about tension in your manuscript and you're thinking about what's at stake, you want the risks there to be real. You don't want to claim that something's at stake when really it's not ever endangered. There's really no risk there. If you're going to put forth or posit that there is a risk for your characters, the risk has to be real. It doesn't mean that the risk has to come true, but the possibility of it being true has to feel authentic within the story. So I've tried to go quick and throw a lot of information uh, in there, but that is what I have to say about tension and snakes. Well done, Kelly. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. And for some reason, in such a wonderful way, it like made me a little bit scared when you're talking about and then someday the rubber band will snap. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> I don't know why it was scary in a good way. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Um, that was my favorite part, too, because the idea that you're just playing it just enough and just enough and just enough. And <laughs> um, T.S., do you have some winners for us? I do. Okay, so the first one is Kylie, and this is the submission. When my dad died, coffee left with him. The smell of it in the mornings, the brown rime of it inside every mug, the cold mountain of spent grounds heaped upon the kitchen compost. I wanted him back, of course, but a chance to just see him would have been a gift on its own. Sears read in tea leaves, so I did what I thought would work. Grind the beans with a silver blade, fill the pot with holy water, and boil for the length of a Hail Mary. When I poured the coffee into his favorite cup, it turned to gray. I saw him as he is now, ash in floating water. Beautiful and scary. Wow. (laughs) And I I will say the thing that I loved the most about that was the prose in general. It was just beautiful. And then the ending, just great. A shot in the gut. And this one I loved because it made me laugh a lot. This is from Jeff Love. I did everything the book said. Salt on the floor in a pentagram shape. I couldn't find table salt, so I had to use mom's pink Himalayan salt, but I think it's better. A pink pentagram. What spirit could say no? Candles. Buttered popcorn scented. And an animal sacrifice. Flies are technically animals, and there's at least 15 of them on this glue strip. After many rehearsals, I recited the incantation without laughing. So where's my Xbox Series X? My little brother burst into my room without knocking again. Eddie, come outside. Why, Liam? I'm busy. Because it's raining PlayStation 2s. Help me catch one before it crashes to the ground. <laughs> I love it. And I just love the spin on the ritual for that one. The All the comments and all the substitutions that made me laugh a lot. And the last one is Ryan Hancock. No way am I going to cut myself. I don't even have any Band-Aids. Seriously, Ginger says, this is your one chance to be the best looking person on earth. And you're going to whiss out over a pinprick? Sorry, but Ginger punches me in the nose. What the hell, I shout. Warm blood drips down my lips. Ginger grins. I sigh. Thanks. That's what best friends are. The moment the blood hits the wick and sniffs out the candle, the room goes dark and Ginger goes quiet. I turn on the light. Ginger is gone. What the? I go upstairs. Mom and dad aren't home, but their car is in the garage. I run outside. Cars sat empty. Bikes lay abandoned on the sidewalk. I catch my reflection in a truck window. I look exactly the same. I love that. That kind of reminded me of like a Twilight Zone episode. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. These are fantastic. 
if you're a winner, we ask you just shoot us an email and say, hey, I won the flash fiction contest for a 10 minute meeting and we'll send you out a code. Yep. Academy at manuscriptwishlist.com. You can save your coupon for when you are ready. There is no time pressure here. We just want to be helpful. Um, all right. Speaking of queries and consulting on them, Danissa, come on down. Hi. Once again, thanks again for allowing me to be here. So excited to talk to you guys. Um, again, starting off, I started off as an intern at Writer's House and my agent that I interned for was Marilee Heifetz. And I should have known then that I was going to be into creepy and crawly, spooky things because, you know, she represents great people like Neil Gaiman, Octavia Butler, Alexandra Bracken, who did lore. So a lot of my list now for that spooky horror genre is going to start off from middle grade all the way to adult. I also do select literary and nonfiction, but stay on topic of Halloween. In middle grade, give me spooky, also give me creepy things. So I love like a cast of friends, like Scooby-Doo vibes as well as something more of like a core line. So haunted doll, something else that I think that the first main character is like their first experience with those paranormal things at that young age. And I think it's okay for them to not be perfect because I'm, you know, older now. If I ever got like a creepy doll or something spooky, I don't know what I'd do with it. So I can only imagine what a 12 or 13 year old would do. I think it's okay they don't really solve that mystery. I think it's okay to not have like that happy ending that I think we try to give sometimes in horror for middle grade just because they're the younger audience, but it doesn't always have to be that way. For YA, that's kind of my sweet spot. So I love speculative, murder mystery, paranormal, or as well as kind of like a genre mashup. Um, a book that recently sold was a paranormal heist book. So really it was like a haunting of Hill House meets Ocean's 8. So I love those kind of things that you can kind of comp two things together. I have a book currently out on sub that's a whodunit, and it's more of like a Knives Out meets Only Murders in the Building that's on Hulu. So again, give me like that cast that really shouldn't be together solving this mystery, but that's the best chance that we have. So I love those type of things, different personalities. I'm the adult. I'm more really into the mental. So the psychological thrillers, I just signed a haunted psychological carnival book. And so I'm terrified of clowns. I don't know why I signed it, but I think it's a perfect vein of like that main character trying to claw their way out of something. And so those are the things that I'm looking for. I think overall, I love different structures. So I have a haunted novel in verse book that I really love. Give me jumping timeline. Give me epistolary. Give me tool, um, dual point of view. I'm sorry. Give me again, haunted items like a black swan. Give me a haunted ballet, haunted instrument, haunted dolls. Go into your culture. Day of the dead, voodoo, obia, expansions of those childhood folk tales that we heard growing up that now you can kind of really put a spin on it. Um, again, atmosphere is so important. So give me like that lush world building, that scene, that moment, that tone, that all work hand in hand and create that feel that like I need to turn on the light because it's midnight because I'm reading queries but I'm afraid something's gonna attack me right now and again like art stakes and epiphanies um Kelly did such a great job about that tension and really kind of drawing that out and I think again when it comes to paying it off again it's making sure that by the end of the book it feels earned that we read through it that we really went on this journey with that main character and we earned that resolution that they also got to towards the end um, yeah. I love that. And I love your comps. Your comps are fantastic. Like I can immediately picture those books that you've gotten. How soon can we read them? Coming shortly. Um, and so that's also going to go into like my sharing the screen of breaking down a query session. I have one that I have to share that I think you guys put in that I'm so excited to review. Yeah, so let me everybody um, opted in for these specifically. And thank you so much for your bravery. We know this is scary to have your query reviewed in front of everybody. Also, if the author of the one chosen today would like to record so we have your voice on the podcast, that is an open invitation. All right, take it away. And oh, and tell us why you chose this one too. Ooh, okay. Yes. So Thanks. I chose The Ghost Singer. And from this first intro paragraph, it says, which combines the chilling ghostly presence of Joe Hill's heart-shaped box with the time travel elements of Adrian Brody's The Jacket. I think, again, going to my thing, I'm very big on comps. 
I think it's a very love-hate relationship that we have with them as an agent. And I think it's hard to find one book that's going to totally, of course, embody your work. So I think if you can't find something that really does that, get those key elements. So this one that says the chilling ghost presence of the heart-shaped box and then the time travel elements. I, even though if I never read the jacket, I know what I have to go into it. If I read the jacket, but it's been years ago, I can say, okay, I love those, tri- those time travel elements again. That's something that I really liked into it. Getting towards like that next paragraph, that first line, guilt is a powerful ghost. And for 93-year-old Isaac, it's about to take a terrifyingly real form. I love that because I'll speak for myself. I get a lot of queries a week, a month. And so one thing that I try to find is that piece of writing that's also in your query letter. And I think that way I'm also kind of getting a touch of the type of writer you can. So I think that one line, if we were even to kind of take out it, I can see it being a really good, just like blurb line, that first thing they were able to get. We're getting that tone, that haunting chill. We're getting a piece of that main character, 19-year-old Isaac, who... One, I would love to read that. So somebody who's 93 is having to take on paranormal entities, please sign me up. And I think that does a really good job of showcasing that. Going to back to this main paragraph, one thing I want to highlight was that World War II setting. I think a lot of times I see in query letters, it's sounding like a synopsis. And that's like, it's set in this time, so you're going to get X, Y, and Z, where just him saying this one line of since the end of World War II, we can already kind of figure out the type of people that we're going to go across, the time. So we're going to get people like the dialect, things going on for subplots mind. And so I think it's okay to really be able to show that setting without having to outright tell us because you don't have that much time. A lot of queries are going to be one page, say about two to 300 words. So really being intentional about how you want to get the information across without it sounding like a list. Going to the next paragraph, there's this second one that comes in, Pia, a ghost singer, can banish spirits away by weaving their true names into her songs. Another thing that I see in query letters is that there are some authors who want to list every main character or every character, but every character doesn't necessarily need to make it to the query letter. We know, keep it to about four to five in a synopsis, but we really want to know who's going to be driving the plot with this main character. So in this point of view, we have the 93-year-old Isaac, and so we get a taste of Will, but he seems to be more of a bystander that's going to be more of like a catalyst for Isaac's type of intention, but Pia is somebody who has that background information who knows about the paranormal elements and who has their own drive to the plot because they can banish spirits by weaving their true names into her songs. So by that way, we're able to get a new character and a reason that's going to be in the dual point of view. So I think it's really exciting to see that the author did correctly of introducing that same character and why we should also be investing in Pia as much as Isaac. Getting into the last main paragraph, which I think ties into what Kelly was saying in her presentation, is that state. So as the attacks intensify and Will's condition worsens, Isaac must confront his path to protect the boy he wishes to cherish. So again, what is it that we're trying to overcome? What is that force of nature that's stopping the main character? And I think the way to really round it out is so though, if we want to do like an elevator pitch, we're going to be combining like that comp titles with kind of that state and who our main character is. I think going down, I want to really pinpoint something in each paragraph that I think the author did really well, because when I'm looking at my pitch letters, I am looking at that movement. What am I able to take out from that first paragraph all the way down to that last, and even in that bio sometimes? So I want to like a brief write-up of that overall. So again, comps. Blessing a curse because no book is the same. So again, if it has like the epistolary structure in X, lush world building and Y, we're able to kind of really pull it to that page in that book that we read. And even if not, you're saying like, hey, for taking it to a second read or even like acquisition meetings for editors, they're going to be able to do that same thing. Where are those like one lines that are going to make me really remember that? Is it going to be the way that the author is writing it? Is it going to be, you know, that last line stake? So I think a few good ways is to grab like your favorite horror books, thriller books as well, and read that back of the book or inside Jack cover. And really, how do they propel that sense? How do they really get that tone across where you feel like you're falling into the story and not just reading a synopsis about it? Again, showcasing which characters are important to the plot. 
I love every character that my clients read, but you know, they don't always make the pitch letter and that's okay. Like let's, it's okay. We can unfold and learn about their arcs as they get into it. But what are really the ones that are going to be making those front covers, those front pages and really kind of propelling those plot? Those who I think need to be introduced earlier on. Again, stakes, show us why in a very similar time that we should root for your main character and fall into a story. The stakes definitely help. So MC must overcome X or, or risk Y. And then again, like a breakdown of movement. And I think when I look at my career letter and when I'm helping, when I'm doing my career critique, I'm breaking down the movement. So introducing that main character, introducing that problem, what's the obstacle in the way of the problem, which is the antagonist, and what MC must overcome to, in order to defeat the obstacle and resolve the problem, which is that stake. So I think as long as you're breaking it down in those things throughout your pitch letter, that'll get you away from making it sound like a synopsis. And again, kind of getting that snapshot of the pitch that you want to see when we're in the career letter. I love seeing your process with this. I love everyone seeing the notes so they can see everything. We have a program we call Mystery Agent, which is where you can send in your query and the featured agent will go over it and do a consultation and it turns into a podcast so other people can learn about it too. Um, so if you would like to be the writer who is featured this time, you can have a meeting with Janissa. I will put the opt-in link in the chat. There are some quick questions here. Um, the idea that you could have, this is from Dana, that you could have both book comps and also film comps. Does that make it too long? What do you guys think about that? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Or is it just something to think about? <laughs> I personally, I love him. I also work in subwrites. So that's one thing they're also having doing. So I think able to see a book that can also get readers who aren't reading. So that's going to be people who are like things worthy things. Like again, like Haunting of Hill House, only murders in the building that kind of can show that the book can translate and transform different mediums and can and attract a wide range of audiences. So I love it. Awesome. This other, this other question um, from Ike, um, I wrote my query letter in the voice of my main character. Is that, is that sort of thing, thing acceptable or does it come off as cheesy and unprofessional? Voice, I, I don't think so. I'm trying to figure out if you're also talking about point of view, because I know we're trying to keep yeah, it. It, 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 is, it sounds like it's point of view as the main character in the query letter. I don't think it's cheesy. I think that might be difficult to find an agent who might initially attract to it, but I'm all for winging things out there. I brought a pitch letter in the main character's point of view, and that book went on to ironically sell. So sometimes you might just have to throw it into limbo <laughs> in Pandora's box, but I'm not opposed to it. But I also like creepy and weird things. Janissa, thank you so much. This is fantastic. I can't wait to do the um, non-mysterious agent consultation with you. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. And last but certainly not least, Claire, come on down. You have happy news to share, I believe. Hi, everyone. I'm Claire again. Um, so I will just dive in with my wish list first, and then I'll get into the next part. So I am most actively right now across my entire list looking for horror and psychological thrillers. So just to give you a little bit um, of a sense of what I'm looking for there, I love unnerving and unsettling stories. I love new twists on classic tropes, revenge stories, toxic friendships, toxic families. Um, I love stories that make a larger cultural commentary within them. I like anything that is inspired by an actual crime. I find that fascinating. For horror, I really like the use of humor, and I also really like the use of dread. I think that's one of the most um, important things in horror. 
And for horror, I also don't mind if we're left hopeless at the end or if there's a moment of triumph. So either one. For thrillers, a lot of the same things I already listed. Um, I do like thrillers that have some crossover horror elements, but it's not necessary if you're submitting to me. Um, I like fast pacing. And for thrillers, I do like a satisfying ending. Um, I think that, you know, we need it to wrap up in some way. Um, I'm always looking for new voices, fresh takes on classic stories and diverse authors and stories. And then just to talk through, because these genres are quite heavy on tropes, some of the tropes um, and staples of the genre that I love, haunted houses and houses as characters, remote location, um, seemingly decent people with dark pasts and you know, anyone hiding a secret. I love missing memories and missing time, but I don't always love if it's from heavy drinking. I just think that that um, has been done a lot. Um, I love stalking. Well, <laughs> I love books about stalking. <laughs> um, I love books about gaslighting. Found footage is a good one for me. Anything with a final girl. Anytime there's a skeptic. Love that. Unstable or unhinged narrators. And I do love ghosts. In terms of the kind of projects that aren't for me, I'm not really looking for police procedurals or political thrillers. I'm not looking for legal thrillers. I am not interested in angels and demons type horror, but I do like possession sometimes. So, um, and then in terms of body horror, which can be kind of polarizing for for people, I do like body horror. I feel like the the gore. I like to know that there's a reason behind it. And then just to throw out a couple of my favorite recent and recent ish reads, Mother Thing, which has a really really great use of humor. I think that if you're looking how to do that, that's a good one. And so is my sister, the serial killer. That's also very funny. Mexican Gothic is a great way to look at dread. Um, anything by Stephen Graham Jones is also a great look at dread. Um, Grady Hendrix, Riley Sager, Just Like Home is a great book to uh, look at sort of house as character as well. So that's a little bit about my wish list and what I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm most actively looking for the darker books and projects right now. So if you have something to send me, please do it now. I want more darkness in my life. <laughs> I am so happy we invited you to this panel. Yes, more <laughs> darkness in our books. Yes, we need it. Okay. Yes. And and but but on a on a sort of lighter note, you have a success story to share. Tell us about that. Yes, I do. So the query that I'm going to share with you guys is actually one of my author's queries. And his debut novel just came out. It's called Edenville by Sam Rebeline. So super exciting. Um, you might have seen the cover because it's been all over the place. So that has been really exciting. But there's an interesting story behind it as well. So I wanted to share this with you all. So when Sam queried me, he queried me with a short story collection. And normally short story collections are a very hard sell. But I could tell immediately from his writing and even just from the query letter that there was something here. So after I read the short story collection, I was like, I love this. I need to work with you. So when we went out on sub, we sent it out as the short story collection to see what would what would happen. And HarperCollins, uh, the imprint, William Morrow, they were interested in doing a two book deal for the short story collection 
and a novel that he had not yet written or really brainstormed. <laughs> so, you know, he and I had a conversation and he was like, yes, I can totally do that. Let's, let's do it. So we ended up doing a big two book deal for a debut novel and a short story collection where the novel would come out first, because it's easier to debut with a novel than it is with a collection. So I'm going to share part of the query letter with you all. And that is for the collection, which is now coming out in early 2025. And Edenville is out now. It just came out earlier this month. Renfield County is cursed. Everybody knows that. It's a world of monsters and giants, vampiric fry cooks who eat sadness like spaghetti, spiritual healers who trap their clients in stone, and people who swap body parts like clothes and worse. Rachel has known these stories since she was a kid, but what she doesn't know is how they might help her explain her mother's sudden death. The Poorly Made and Other Things is a collection of interrelated stories set in the same fictional upstate New York County, woven throughout the contents of a letter from county resident Rachel to her brother Tom. Through this letter, Rachel desperately tries to unravel Renfield's history, finding connections between these stories and some of the very real horrors which may explain her mother's demise. Loneliness, depression, addiction, abuse, and the occasional cannibal. The horror here isn't always about what's lurking in the woods. It's about seeking human connection and not finding it. So just to point out a couple of things in this particular query letter that I thought were done really well. It starts with a bang, these first two sentences here. That is so engaging. The minute that I read those two, the first the first sentence alone, I was like, oh, okay. In and of itself, it's a short query, <laughs> but those two sentences really pack a punch. I like this next part because it's giving me a sample of what happens in the various stories. Like each of these are pulled from a different short story within the collection. And it shows me a little bit of humor in there. And then, you know, this part right here, this is setting up the stakes that everyone's been talking about. She doesn't know how they might help her, her figure out what happened to her mom, but she's going to find out. So the next part is letting me know sort of what's the setup of the book um, and, you know, just giving us a little bit of a little bit of history of what's going on there. And then this part is, in my opinion, is kind of heartbreaking. You know, it's letting us know there are very real things lurking here. It's not just monsters and ghouls and whatever else. Like there are real issues that people are dealing with. And then this last little bit really sealed the deal for me. I think whenever anyone's saying like the horror isn't what you think, it's an everyday thing that people deal with really packs a hard punch to me. So I thought that was a really, really solid example um, of a query letter. Yeah. <laughs> so we have some questions. Did it have the metadata? Did it have the comps? Did it have all the yes. other query? Tests? Yeah. So it had all of the other normal query things. I just knew this was a shortened period for me to present it to you guys. So these are just the plot, the middle section of the query. There's a bio afterwards. And in the beginning, there's like the opening sentence and the information about the book with comps and word count and all of that. I love how it's horror that relates to real life in a cool way. I think mm -hmm. horror that like ties back to how our present world is and works can be really satisfying. That's very cool. Yeah. And I think it can be um, even more heartbreaking sometimes than horror that is just, you know, a little more bonkers and off the wall. And I would, I will tell you guys now, this one's a little more bonkers and off the wall. And the short story collection is a little bit more traditional horror and a little bit more hopeless. So <laughs> whichever vibe you're looking for. <laughs> 
Okay. And so you have, I believe, some trivia questions for us. We are giving out prizes for that. Those of you who have not yet opted into a prize on our form, please do that soon, should you want a prize. Um, but yeah, why don't you go ahead and the first person with each right answer gets a copy of your book that turned into a real book. Hooray. And um, then the other two will also get meetings to meet with agents and editors. So go ahead with your questions. Okay. Who wrote the world famous 1897 epistolary novel, Dracula? Oh my gosh, we already have an answer. <laughs> Carmen, <Love it>. well done. <laughs> okay. Uh, Congratulations, Carmen. Do you want the second question? Yes, please. Okay. All right, second question. What fictional detective recently investigated a haunting in Venice on the big screen? <laughs> You are Carmen, also knowledgeable. Carmen is on top of it right now. Okay, Carmen, you get one prize. <laughs> but we're proud of you. We are proud of you. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> okay. The second person is Jeanette. Love it. Yes. Yes. Congratulations, Jeanette. <laughs> All right. Do you want the third question? Yes, please. Okay. In the film, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which beloved actress voices the role of Sally? Yep. <laughs> Janelle, you got it. Congratulations, Janelle. I like how it's in two lines too. It's like Catherine. Okay. <laughs> and then wait, this Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, winners. I, I appreciate all of you for knowing so many things. You always know so many things. Claire, thank you. Panelists, thank you. We appreciate this so much. If you guys have questions to put in the chat, go ahead, put them in there. We will answer for five or so minutes. I know we're running over. Thank you, panelists, for your patience. Julie, do you want to choose some more questions? Sure. This one's from Laurel. I've been hearing that agents and editors are currently really looking for the first person POV rather than the close third. Is that a myth or is it an accurate statement of where the market is right now? I think it really just depends on the story that you're telling. You know, some stories are better in first person and others aren't. So I think I wouldn't say necessarily like it's a myth, don't ever do it. But also, you know, it's it's really story dependent. Um, I like this one. What do you look for in an author's platform or marketing plan for promoting a thriller or a suspense novel? Oh, this is a very prepared writer. You don't usually have um, a complete marketing plan or platform for fiction. But if you do, I'm impressed. I'll read it. Yeah, I can echo that and just say for fiction, you don't actually technically need anything. However, it's a bonus. It's great. And if you are able to just show that you are willing to promote your own book and that you're going to be making connections online and out there hustling to sell it, that's great. Anything that we can use to prove that is amazing. Ooh, I like this one. They say, hello, agents. Kind of like how on Shark Tank, they're like, hi, sharks. Thank you for sharing your knowledge on the panel. My question is, where is the line in giving away too much versus not enough in your query? This is for all of you. We love, we love hearing all of your voices. I think for me um, to jump on that one, I don't need to know like how it ends. I don't need to know if they get the thing or get together or break up or solve the murder or whatever, but I need to know like, what is that crucial choice? Like they're either going to do this or they're going to do that. And which one is it? So 
I don't need to know that final resolution, but I want to know the climactic question that leads to the final resolution, if that makes sense. Um, I always recommend being as specific in a query letter as possible because we get hundreds every day and I read so many queries where if they don't do this, their whole life will change. And it's like, well, how is their life going to change? What is going to happen? I want to know specifically. But I don't think you have to spoil the ending and say, you know, Cindy did it. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with Kelly. And I think, you know, the synopsis is a good place to to give us that information that the rest of it, what happens at the end. Because, you know, when we get to the synopsis, that's when we're going to want to know, you know, how you've structured the plot. But for the query, I always say, um, I think this was said earlier too, look at the back cover of your favorite book. And, you know, that's kind of what you're trying to go for is that feel to really hook an agent like a back cover would hook a, a reader in the bookstore. Okay. This sounds like a, a scary thing to ask, but um, I know they don't mean it that way. This author has been ghosted. Haha, <laughs> sorry. Um, ghosting is, is not fun. I, I'm sorry to make fun. It's just on theme. Um, ghosted or rejected um, on most of their queries from last year. They have a revision and they'd love for their revised work to get a shot. What should they do? Can they send it out again? Is that a complete faux pas? Is it a faux pas, but they might get away with it? I think it's really it, like specific to individual agents and individual agencies, you know, like if there's an agency or an agent that says no response means no, then, you know, don't send it back to them. I will say for me personally, like I always have a timeline in mind of when I'm going to answer queries and I'm always like, oh, 12 weeks, you know, would be my ideal. And I'm always um, behind and it's constantly something that I'm working on is that time management of that, but I tell people like, you will get an answer from me. So even if I'm outside of that timeline, when I hope to respond, I will respond at some point. I know it is one of the most frustrating and painful and difficult process parts of the process um, is to send something out into the void and just wait um, so I think, you know, if, if it's someone who says that they respond to everything and you haven't gotten a response, I think you can resend. But if it's an agency that says like, if we don't, we only reach out to people that we're interested in pursuing a relationship with, then I think for those, you've got to just let it go. Does anyone have a favorite question? <laughs> if any of you saw something interesting that you'd like to answer, you absolutely may. Um, in the meantime, this is something I think is important to ask. If an agent has thriller and their manuscript wish list, can I submit a speculative thriller? Um, so I think this is one of those questions of like, if someone asks for mystery and I have a thriller, can I send it? If someone asks for horror and I've got a scary story, but it's not technically horror, can I send it? How strict are we about if you list something, does that mean you only want that? Or does that mean you'll probably want things that are similar to and you just didn't get around to listing everything you wanted? Yeah, I mean, with the manuscript wish lists, it's like for me, at least, I can't list every single possible potential combo of genre blending that I might be interested in. So I would say, yes, if you have read through my manuscript wish list and you feel that it is a fit for me and you feel like it fits well enough with what I'm talking about liking and books that I've said I've liked online or things like that, then yes, go for it. Send it to me. If it's something like, oh, it's horror, which you said you want, but it's young adult. I'm not the right person, but there's other people at my agency. So I would also say, look at if it's not 100% fitting with a specific agent's wish list, 
look at their agency and just see, is there maybe someone else at that agency who might be a better fit for it? If not, like, yes, go ahead and send it to me, you know, but if it's a different age category, that's one that I would not recommend like breaking with that simply because it's a different set of editors. So if someone says they don't do young adult, it's because they maybe don't have those connections in the young adult world, but they have the ones in the adult world or vice versa. So yeah, I definitely think, uh, you know, I can only kind of speak for myself, but I agree. Like the main script wish list is kind of a, it's not super specific. It's kind of the general area where to kind of aim for me. Um, and I think, you know, as long as the agent isn't, is, isn't saying, I, you know, I don't want this element that's in your book, then it's worth a try. Um, you know, I always say that for me, like, books that are centered around sports are difficult for me. So if it was like a horror and it was YA and I represent those, but it was very sports centric, it's going to be a tough sell for me. But, you know, if it's something that I love, like witches, then, you know, yeah. If it's like slightly off of what I've asked for then, but it's got something that I love, then give it a try. And we'll be sending out some smart links to all of your genres. So that will bring up everybody. For example, if you click the the suspense one, you will get a list of agents looking for suspense. If someone tags themselves in suspense in the meantime, they'll be on there too. It's a smart link. But we recommend that you go for folks who are writing in adjacent genres too. Um, make a really big list. It's very possible that someone will love it and they just didn't happen to mention um, exactly what you are writing. Okay, I think we have time for one more question and then prizes. How do you all feel about work set during the pandemic? the most recent pandemic? Is it just a no-no or what do we do? So sorry that I'm answering. Um, so for me personally, I'm not a huge fan of the pandemic backdrop. However, there are instances where it actually makes a big difference about the story or where it's at the core of the story. So I would say if you're throwing it in there to try to be super relevant, there's no need. If it is at the core of your story is like the reason that everyone is at home all the time or something like that. Um, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, I do think that it's a bit of a hard sell because it, you know, we're not all trying to re to relive that time. But yeah, for me personally, unless I think that the story could not be told without the pandemic being included, that's really the only time I would want to see something that has the pandemic in there. I think for me, I'm as far as fiction goes, I'm I would love to pretend like the pandemic never happened. So that kind of is a turnoff for me, although I'm not turned off by like plague stories. Just I just don't want to read about the real plague. <laughs> so funny how plague is fun until we live it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess that's a lot in these genres, huh? A lot of these are fun in theory and to read about, but you don't want to see zombies walking down your street. Yeah. Awesome. Is it time for prizes? I believe it is. Um, why don't we just have our panel go around and say where we can find them online? And then, yeah, it is prize time. You can go first. So I'm on Twitter at T-E-E-E-S-S. -E -E -S. That's just T-S spelled phonetically. Um, and then um, you can find my query link on, it's in my Twitter bio, but also um, on the Azantian uh, agency website. And I'm all over social media. So feel free to direct message me if you have any questions. Feel free to, you know, at me on Twitter. I'm also on Blue Sky. I keep forgetting about Blue Sky, but eventually I think we're all going to end up there. So <laughs> I think so too. I have not gone there yet, but I, I second your prediction. 
Uh, Kelly, how about you? Sure. Um, you can find me on the KT Literary website, um, ktliterary.com, which will have a link to my query manager and um, other things. As far as social media, um, I've cut way back in recent years to uh, help sustain my mental health. I am still technically on Twitter at Bookish Chick, I think is my handle there, but I have not tweeted uh, reliably for months and months. I am on Blue Sky but also haven't posted there much. Probably the social media I'm using most right now is Instagram, where I am Agent Kelly Van Sant and uh, have a manuscript wish list page, of course. Um, so those are all places you can find me. And Janissa, tell us about where we can find you. Yes, I'm on Twitter. So at Janissa Michelle or Janissa Graham. Also my website. I have a section for any question or comments, as well as the bookends literary website. Okay. And Claire. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok with the handle at Claire underscore M underscore Harris. Um, I also have a website that is just ClaireMHarris.com. So <laughs> take out the underscores. Um, and I'm on the PS Literary website. So great. I am so happy all of you could be here. Thank you so much. This was such a like lovely, spooky way to spend the afternoon. I really appreciate it. Okay, those of you who opted in for prizes, I put you into a randomizer. I guess I guess that's what it's called. We paste all of you in there. It draws you at random. The prize for the last three is a why am I getting rejected consultation. You can choose to meet with any of our faculty members for this, and we'll go over your perplexing uh, rejection letters and compare them to your first page and your query letter and come up with a next step for you. So you don't just have to wallpaper with rejection letters, you can have some actionable feedback. Okay, the first winner is Aaron K. Um, or Aaron with a middle name of K and a last name of P. Congratulations, Aaron. Screenshotting that. Winners, please send us an email. The next winner is Aiden with a last name of T, Aiden with an A. And the third winner is um, Mary with a last name of D. And I'm screenshotting all of these. There are a lot of you here. So um, let us know if you're not sure if you won. We will check our screenshots and make sure. Um, Julie, what am I forgetting? I'm just so happy we got to do this. Yeah, thanks everyone. It was so, the perfect way to end October. We really appreciate it. And yeah, again, thank you so much for being part of our community. We appreciate you. Happy spooky season. All right, bye. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com. <laughs>